0: Hello, I'm Michael Barn. And I'm Scott Soschnick.
1: On this weekly podcast, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we speak to Senior Vice President of Octagon Media Rights Consulting Dan Cohen. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports Reporter Evan Novi Williams. Let's start first of all sports betting. Oh my goodness, if this happens, there's a new report that predicts 18 states will introduce bills to regulate sports betting this year, with Leving having a good chance of passing legislation.
2: And then thirty one others will probably follow suit, leaving uh,
1: leaving Utah out of it.
2: Nice um, math, Abby. Oh, thank you. <laughs> On the fly, uh, thank you, Mrs. Murray. Uh, the yeah, this is going to be. It's going to happen once the Supreme Court rules. If it rules in favor of New Jersey, which could happen as early as as mid March, uh, you're going to see a lot of states falling in line very quickly. Realizing that this is going to go the state's route, there's a, a large windfall for taxes uh, that's going to come out as, as a result of this, uh, and states need to move quickly.
0: But as you and I know, the interesting part here, and we haven't told the whole story yet, is all the jockeying that's going on behind the scenes, all the companies that are associated with this space. We can name some of them. You can say DraftKings. You can say William Hill. You can say... MGM. MGM. You know, <laughs> Sport Radar. Sport, Sport Radar. Sure. Everybody is sort of ramping up the behind the scenes what if because nobody knows exactly what it'll look like but they're trying to plan for a variety of scenarios in which they are first on the ground ready to run and to be first mover status, and well, that's
2: true at the state level also. A lot yeah. of these states also don't know what this is going to look like. You know, so they're putting provisions in their bills that casinos look at and say, "I can't do business in the state where there's a twenty percent fee that I'm paying to the NBA or the NFL for all my betting." There's Indiana. a lot that needs to be shaken. Out. <laughs> Looking at you, Indiana. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be shaken out, of course. But there's
1: a lot of money here. But what happens to fantasy sports? Because there's a big difference now. Regular now, people can say, you know what, forget it. I don't have to go and look for this player and that player and blah, blah, blah. I can just break it down to which team I think is going to win the game. Now, are we talking daily
0: fantasy? Or are we talking
1: season-long fantasy? Daily fantasy. That's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, but don't forget these daily fantasy companies are also... We named DraftKings and FanDuel. They're looking to like broadcast live sports on their screens next to their platform. So... They are morphing or looking to morph as this is going on as well.
1: Another topic, ESPN, college football. All the worries about ESPN and ratings. <laughs> well, it looks like ESPN knocked it out of the park. Forgive the baseball pun talking about college football. You heard Bill
2: Hancock, uh, the executive director of the college football playoff on our show, uh, saying that moving the, the, the semifinals to New Year's Day uh, was going to be a good thing. Uh, obviously, he was right. Getting an all-SEC showdown between Alabama and Georgia, also pretty darn good for ratings. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is the most watched cable show of the year almost every year uh, and it didn't fail to deliver this year as well
0: we joke it's very simple evan right get some good brands marquee teams new stadium that has a lot of publicity close to where these teams play on a night where let's say a lot of people aren't doing something else which by the way when we go back and examine this as a as a sports business case study i want to go back into that room when somebody said you know i have an idea We should put the game on New Year's Eve, not New Year's Day. (laughs) And not only didn't that person, and I'm not even sure who it is. is—did we know who that was? Not only didn't that person not get laughed out of the room, a whole bunch of other people raised their hand and said, Love it. <laughs> you are thinking outside the box. Let's do that. Yeah. You know, we don't really think these New Year's Eve revelers are right. they rather just uh, watch football at home than go out to their parties and do
1: things. I mean, my Lord, that's got to be one of the worst decisions ever made. By the way, to give you the numbers right quick, the famous Alabama, and it is famous, the Alabama thrilling twenty-six twenty-three comeback win over Georgia was watched by 28.4 million people. Let's talk about John Gruden and all the other coaches in the NFL thanking John Gruden for a big fat payday. Chucky. Chucky, <laughs> Chucky's back. I Evan, where, where do we go with this when John
0: Gruden? I mean, I wonder It's a ton of money. I yeah, think it's a big I mean, thing. Right? It's a lot of money, but we know these coaches are going to get a lot of money. You know he wants to make that's Mark Davis, his team going to Vegas, wants to make a splash. But to, I'm one that always has always said I wished owners would give coaches the support so that the, the, the players knew that this is my guy that there's no complaining there's no going to the owner there's no going to the GM saying I'm unhappy like this is my guy it's so rarely seen in pro sports like Jerry Sloan had that in Utah and, and many others didn't have it so from that perspective I I'm glad to see it
2: yeah th- then again this is a guy that hasn't coached in over a decade you know and it's you're a good thing the game hasn't evolved of, in a one decade. of the biggest if not the biggest coaching contracts in in, in nfl history uh yeah time will tell uh there, there's a chance that the long contract makes players more willing to, to play for him and more excited and it works out well uh there's also a huge chance that this blows up in their face
0: people talking about the raiders that's what they like
1: gruden signed a 10-year contract 10 million dollars a year Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Noby-Williams. Now we get into our interview with Senior Vice President of Octagon Media Rights Consulting, Dan Cohen.
0: Yes, Michael, I have known Dan a very long time and... Sometimes when he rings me I'm like where are you in the world? One day it's Monaco, one day it's Peru. You never know what he's doing, who he's representing. Dan, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And Octagon started a media rights division in August. Why does the company feel the need to jump into this market?
3: I think because you're seeing a lot of convergence of all these commercial rights come together. So historically Octagon, a company for 30 years, been involved in two core businesses, right? You've got the- I think of Michael Phelps. You do think of Michael Phelps, you think of Steph Curry, Felix Hernandez, Simone Biles. you got the talent representation side, and then the other side of the piece is a big corporate consulting business. Now that I'm drinking the juice a little bit more, I could say maybe the best in the business, right? But you've got corporate clients such as MasterCard, Bank of America, uh, BMW, for example, and so we're helping control their spend and, and strategically align their spend with where to spend in sports marketing. Both of those pieces, talent representation and the, the corporate partnership side, the sports consulting side, they're all about content now. It's all coming back to media. And so, as content becomes more critical to all aspects of business, not just as a standalone, Octagon's trying to grow and become a more full-service agency. Media rights consulting's a big piece of that.
0: Now, if the accountants are to be believed, this will be the first year that media revenue outpaces tickets and an arena. Yeah. So, now we're seeing scale, we're seeing content distribution, owners, leagues, they all need it. I mean, this is this is the biggest part of their revenue streams now.
3: And I think that hails back to your first question, which is why has Octagon gone into this piece? It's because it's the single largest revenue driving uh, factor for for any sports professional company, right? Whether it be a, whether it be the MasterCards, whether it be the NBA, it's it's the most
1: critical. Well, take us through the process. Let's say, for instance, Joe Blow, athlete or company, comes to you. Take us through the process on what you do for that person or that company, so people understand exactly what you do.
3: Sure. So, it's it's really a little bit different for each one. There's not a, a plain vanilla. So, we've got four core businesses within the media rights consulting division that we look at and try to help advise on how to catch up with this rapid change. You have the players. On that side, it's about content creation a lot of the time. Take Tom Brady, for example, in his new Facebook watch deal with the religion of sport, and Ace Media with the NFLPA. There's a proliferation of content offerings, and athletes have now become themselves their own broadcast network in a way.
0: Great front porch, but they're annoying to work with. That's what I hear all around from all the reps. You will not say it, having drunk the Kool-Aid. Here he is now biting his (laughs) lip, Michael Barr. But that's what I hear from everybody. It's great to have the big names, the famous faces
3: but it's a big headache. And by the way, not that much money. Scheduling is a problem. Scheduling is a problem. And and I think expectation in some regards is a problem. And and what I mean by expectation is the the amount of distribution that they'll get. So if you allow a player, uh, if you allow a broadcaster or a Facebook or an Amazon or Twitter to come behind the curtain, there's an expectation from that athlete sometimes as to the amount of distribution that might get. So you have the player athlete side of the content business, right? And that's about content creation. It's moving into players becoming their own broadcast channels in a way. The second piece there is your traditional business, which is working with leagues and federations and confederations, your traditional rights holders that own these rights. And for us in that space, it's really about threefold. One, valuation services. How much are these rights worth as they become so valuable and critical to the lifeblood of broadcasters? how are we exploiting these rights to generate enough revenue from them so that's the the distribution side and then it's also the negotiation support so we're helping leagues actively right now not just in the u.s but globally look at how to distribute and sell these rights how to negotiate these rights and carve them up so much 10 years ago eh, maybe 20 years ago media rights was a catch-all it's everything right and traditionally it just meant tv now media rights have been carved up uh, and bifurcated so many times over and over. You have leagues like UEFA, for example, that are uh, they're, they're sending out RFPs just for electronic gaming rights. Right. And then there's linear, there's right. digital, there's augmented reality. There's every, VR, everything. there's betting, there's radio, there's so many pieces. The average league now in the U.S. can carve up their rights 11 different ways. If you go back 10 years ago, maybe you could cut it up between digital or internet and that catch-all
0: and TV. We are chatting with Senior VP of Media Rights at Octagon, Dan Cohen. And Dan, let me let me ask you, how many rights holders overvalue what they have? It's almost like somebody trying to sell an apartment. Everybody thinks their apartment's worth more than the offer. Sure. Is that what it is these days in media because of all the buzz that content, 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 it's it's worth so much?
3: Yes. So there are, there's, there's a, a really a shift right now. And you're seeing the premium rights holders continue to get more bang for their buck. And the allocation of budget that broadcasters and the new tech giants are allocating to these premium folks is, is much greater than what they had before. It's that second and third and fourth tier set of sports leagues that have these media rights that that's going to be a challenge, I think, moving forward. And they're going to have to get creative in terms of how to keep that, that value at where it's at. And at the turn of this next decade, a lot of these rights come up. So, you know, without picking on anyone, you look at someone like NASCAR. Can NASCAR repeat the same media rights jump that they did in the last... You're looking at
0: a NASCAR fan. Chime in, Michael Barr. I was just going to ask this,
1: because this is a problem for NASCAR this season. Next month, we have the big Daytona 500. Yes, you have that race, but then the rest of the other races... There are no major stars now that people can say, oh, my goodness, there's so-and-so. There's Dale Earnhardt Dale Jr.
3: Dale Jr. drives the pace car every week. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happens? I mean, that, that's a big thing.
3: NASCAR has to do a, a better job at popularizing the, the younger stars and creating these new personalities. As a lot of the personalities that we all grew up with in the last 10, 15, 20 years watching are, are gone, they're going to have to do a much better job of creating characters I think that's one piece. I think the second piece is they've done a good job. They need to do a better job at digitizing their uh, their content, and they need to get it in the hands of a younger audience and make it more meaningful. So I think if they if they do both of those pieces and do it well and are committed to it, then they're going to stay relevant. The other piece to think about, too, as an NASCAR fan, is they've got more competition now than they've ever had before within the motorsports space. Formula E, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. I think it's a, a huge growth uh, they just sport. had a title sponsor with a like a robot, yeah. like, Or the BAA, yeah, yeah. Yep. And and as a lot of these, this millennial generation is into causal marketing and social. You're seeing a, a you know really the first true green sport to come out of this. It's it's competitive. I've been to a few races. It's pretty wild. The one in Miami, you don't even hear these cars turn. Uh, and then you've got Formula One with an entirely new set of an executive team in in Chase and Sean Bratches that are seasons veterans and they're they're going to know what to do. Uh, to get Formula One into more mobile handheld and more TVs in the U.S. in particular. It's a big focus for them. So NASCAR is under some pressure, but I do think if they stay true to committing to building a, a bigger fan base through uh, personalities and digital they should stay
1: relevant. And I don't want to make people like Jimmy Johnson or Kevin Harvick mad. It's like, hey, we're here, too. We've been stars in the sport make for a while. Make them mad. A they not pushing. Nobody really fights. <laughs> they push each other in pit
0: row, and then they're separate. Make them mad, Michael.
1: But, I mean, back in the day, it's like, you could name them. Buddy Baker, obviously Richard Petty, and David Pearson. You can go on and on and on, and you would go to the track or watch on TV. It's like, this is my guy. And I don't even know who to root for. I can't tell you how
0: much I love them that I have no idea who Buddy Baker is. (laughs) (laughs) He got around to another guy I knew, but Buddy Baker. Michael, are you scratching your head like that? What's the first screen anymore? The first screen, second screen experience we hear. Is the sport the first screen? And we've talked to others about this as well. Do the leagues care if their property is the first screen as long as it's up, whether it's sports betting or social next to it? I think they
3: have to care. The first screen is still television. To this date, it's still television. When you look at media rights, uh, the digital rights are still a fraction of of the, the value from a revenue perspective, and still a fraction of the viewership. Amazon's averaging three hundred three hundred fifty thousand 350,000 viewers for Thursday Night Football. Well, that is uh, maybe what one twentieth, one not even one two hundredth of what uh, NBC and CBS.
1: And we let's put it in perspective. We were just talking about this not too long ago. Is that yes, you you have the streaming and you have your tablet and you have your laptop, whatever. But television is still <laughs> well, king. Michael has his flip phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get this thing to work. <laughs> you can still remember the ESPN days? Uh, yeah, oh, da-na-na, da-na-na. oh, you had to bring
0: up the worst thing ever so, in ESPN's history. The ESPN phone didn't quite work out.
1: Oh, man, I remember that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but it, t- television is still huge.
0: Well, is Mark Cuban yeah. right? He, You know what Mark said, that the leagues have and the teams have done a terrible job at reminding fans that the television is
3: still the best way to watch games. It is. And, and, and I think you know, the question before all this media evolution took place over the last three to four years was, how do I make the in-stadium experience more meaningful because at home the TVs are getting so much better? I think they've
0: done a terrible job. When I go to a stadium, I feel like what they've done is recreated the living room experience at the arena when I want a unique experience when I go.
3: Correct. It, it should be all about experiential. Right, And I'm, I'm not an expert in that, but I've been to a bunch of games, and and, and I think that it, it should be about living in the moment, feeling that. You can't feel it through a screen. Okay, The best you can do is feel it through a phone, feel it through a laptop or, or a handheld device. Uh, but when you're at the stadium, it's about creating those memories. It's creating those memories with your best friend, with your father, with your mother, with your son or your daughter. And that's what teams have to continue to find uh, and revolutionize ways to... Create the the memorable experiences, and that's touching a player, getting an autograph. That's eating something special. It's it, it's it's a, it's you
0: know, it still works for my son, and you know, my little guy loves hockey. But you know, it still works. The t shirt toss. It, it's amazing. Love. I mean, there's no, $5 no No, no NBA needed to throw a kid a t shirt because you got a fan for life. If a puck or comes from
3: the the player during pregame, fan for life exactly exactly or or i'll take one step further a little bit easier and and something that that everybody can touch run the bases after a game go skate on the ice after a game might have to sign a waiver or two but actually touch and feel the field and be part of that, that you still can't get through a screen. Although this
0: did happen, I believe, two years ago, and I hope I'm not maligning the New York Mets too badly here, but they had sort of come down and run the bases after the game. So they brought the the kids down, at maybe the bottom of the eighth inning, lined everybody up, and the game went like 16 innings, and it's like 100 <laughs> <degrees>. <laughs> So Even when you try and do
3: if, nice. If you're the New York Mets in that situation, and I'm assuming it's not two years ago when they actually were pretty decent, all of those kids that, that wanted to run the bases and had to go home, find out who they are and offer them two free tickets to sit up in the nosebleeds and come run them again. Yeah. And if they didn't do that, shame on them.
1: I still say the greatest experience I ever had was as a Father's Day present, they gave me the ride experience to drive a NASCAR on the Pocono Raceway. And I'll never forget that. It's like, so you see the guys racing and then it's like, oh my goodness, this is what I'm doing here. It's like running the bases NASCAR style
0: talking with Dan Cohen the senior VP of media rights consulting at octagon tell me about the NFL we hear so many bad things but there's no context and we're, we're big on context here yes the numbers are down but numbers are down across TV they're still th- the best way to aggregate eyeballs particularly young men
3: the top 10 broadcasts of all of 2017 Number one was NFL. Number two was NFL. Number three was NFL. I'll fast forward. Number ten was NFL, right? So they're still drawing a, a tremendous amount of attention, and 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 they're not. They're going to continue to struggle if they can't figure out some of these really systemic issues that they have. Uh, it's become politicized, and I don't think personally the NFL has done a good enough job of stepping out in front of that and addressing it with players and addressing it with fans. CTE. It's a it's a major issue. Yeah. Uh, but do
0: fans care? Are fans
3: turning off their televisions or their tablet, whatever it is, because of CTE? I think mothers of children that want to play football and will be future football fans are turning off the televisions at home. I don't think the fathers on a Sunday that grew up with football, that generational. I don't think that generational effect has taken place personally. But I think that it's that next generation. And if I am roger goodell or any of the 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 senior executives of the nfl i'm thinking always not about the fan today but the fan tomorrow and so i do think that cte is affecting the fan of tomorrow So it's not
0: just the feeder system it's also the watchers of tomorrow
3: exactly exactly i don't i don't want my son or daughter to be watching a sport where people end up uh in a in a really bad place physically and mentally in the future so i think cte is another piece and then i think this ratings issue it's it's just everywhere Uh, And kudos to ESPN for getting out in front and and touting how well they've done in college football playoffs. It's up 13% this year. Monday night's game was a heralded success uh and and i think the cfps have just been really good football with the exception of maybe one bill of hancock was our guest
0: was talking about the aggregation of sort of the national buy yeah of college football and the big
3: brands so so it's not a football problem it's an nfl problem
1: but i'm going to get back to something you said about politics seeping into the nfl and it's not just the nfl it's any sport any sports fan is watching that sport to escape just to watch it That's another problem that uh, everybody in this industry has of separating the politics from the sport.
3: Yes. And I think that as we live in a time where polarization and political beliefs become greater and greater, sports are going to become more politicized. So the commissioners, whether it be Manfred, Silver, France, Goodell, uh, Bettman, etc., they need to start to think about how they're going to address these issues. I was personally quite shocked that the anthem protest didn't seep into more of the NBA or Major League Baseball. Uh, And I'm sure if you ask some of the commissioners of other leagues, they, they feel like they dodged a bullet on that one.
0: And Dan, I hinted at this at the start of the show, but I want to give people a glimpse into your life. Like you're sitting there in your office, boom, phone rings. I mean, it can be any of your clients anywhere in the world.
3: It runs the gamut, right? It's telcos, it's tech giants, it's leagues, it's federations, it's athletes. Our first client we ever brought in uh, back in the fall, it was a private equity company looking to make an acquisition of a sports league. And do tell,
0: do tell. We love the private equity companies looking to buy sports leagues.
3: As media rights continue to drive up value, and these teams are become really media companies in many ways, and that's their, that's their asset, and that's who they've uh, adjusted to become, private equity has gotten in there uh, quite often not just as a flip. And I think this company that we're looking at is looking at doing a massive roll-up in a specific sector, buying out a few of these competitive leagues, and then exiting after seven or eight years. And they wanted to have a deeper understanding, contextualizing this specific sport with regards to its media rights. What have they done? Where is it undervalued? How can we exploit those rights greater? And if we were to roll these up, what does that value of media rights look like? And then what does the distribution strategy for that league look like? Can you walk us to CBS, NBC, uh, ESPN, Lifetime, Twitter, Facebook, and have those conversations uh, with us and for us?
1: Which sport is undervalued today in your mind?
3: It's a great question. I think that the premium, the best top three soccer leagues globally are undervalued within this country. What's going to be really interesting for us to watch is the La Liga tender for the U.S. Uh, and other territories that is to be issued this week. Uh and that's where i'd go i'd go with the the international soccer. so the the premier league even though they're getting 165 166 million dollars a year i still think that's a that's a bargain uh for the u.s i think la liga i think Bundesliga has done a pretty good job of growing now that they've got pulisic they've got an american star i had the officials top guys from the french
0: soccer league Hmm. in the office this week and they're looking to one find american investors but also their rights their u.s rights are coming due they are this, this week and they're all they're promising that we're not epl we're not bundesliga we're not syria yet but
3: you can get it on the cheap is that a realistic argument to make from a team buyer's perspective or from a media rights perspective both from a team buyer's perspective i'm not buying um fff right the french league yet from a media rights perspective, I think it's about, I think it is a good buy for someone who traditionally hasn't carved out their space as a sports media broadcaster, traditionally, or as a, or as a tech giant. Uh, and it's a good property. It's a lot of content. You, PSG with Neymar. I mean, you have a brand that you can wrap around. Lyon, Marseille, Monaco is performing incredibly well. Marseille owned by, we
0: might have, uh, owned by Frank McCourt, former Dodgers owner. I, I, yeah. I, I dropped that one in yeah. there.
3: Not from performance perspective,
2: <laughs> certainly.
0: But there's a second team in Paris that isn't very good, isn't well-known. If I'm looking to get into European soccer, why spend X billion on an EPL team or whatever it may be? When I could get a team in Paris and with some investment, yeah. maybe build it up to be a rival to PSG.
3: No, I absolutely – I think a lot of it has to do with looking at what is the FFF going to do from a revenue generation standpoint. How are they going to – From and then, and then from a media perspective, what are they doing to address some of the scheduling complications that they've had in the past? And what I mean by that is from the international perspective. They're pretty much at their peak from a domestic perspective in terms of – Incremental revenue is not going to be double digits. So where do they find that money? English Premier League has been the best at beating the global market to the punch, and now you start to see La Liga and Bundesliga opening up these global offices. The the French league need to do the same. How are they going to schedule their games so that when I'm in Shanghai, I can be watching a PSG game, right? And how does that impact the domestic market? Uh, and then the last piece I'd go to is Liga MX. I am extremely bullish on Liga MX. I think it's probably the most undervalued property in all of global sports, not even just in the U.S. The most watched soccer league in the U.S.? By far. Averaging somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million uh, for a Klausura game. Well, for people when, who
0: may not know, that's the Mexican top division.
3: Yes. Correct. And, you, and, and it goes back to, and this is what's so fascinating about media rights, right? It's not just about the value of those media rights. It's, it's economics, right? It's, it's GDP. It's demographics. It's immigration. It's technology shifts. It's, it's consumption. So you're tying in all these different factors to try to help a league figure out how much it's worth or help a broadcaster figure out how much should I buy it for. Uh, Liga MX is a great example of that. There's going to be 30, there, there currently is 35 million Mexican-Americans living in the U.S. That number is expected to double. By 2032. Traditionally, as you assimilate, you still, that first, second generation still holds on to that home culture, home team affinity. Octagon's done a lot of passion drivers research on this about fan affinity, what drives a passion, what drives the passion of a fan. Uh, And from an international perspective, from an immigrant perspective, it's still that home team. And so I think that there's a lot of growth opportunity that still hasn't been tapped into for Liga MX, the first division of the Domestic Soccer League of Mexico.
1: Many years ago, my son, who was going to go to college, said, Dad, I want to get into sports marketing. I said, really? So what advice would you give somebody who wants to get into sports marketing? Okay,
0: can I do first?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan, take
0: it away.
3: I, I if it, it Well, putting myself in your shoes, not a father yet, uh, but if I if I did have a son or daughter looking again in sports marketing, I'd be completely supportive of it, Mr. Soschnick. But yeah. I but I would try to drive them towards uh, towards jobs that that really are much more, uh, what's the right word? Just much more all encompassing or, or much more universal, right? I wouldn't t- typically an entry level. Uh, just recent grad is going to go sell tickets for the Cleveland Indians. That's not a job I'd want my son or daughter to do. I don't want them robo-calling 250 people a day. I don't think they're going to learn very much. Uh, I think going to work, um, at uh, at even if it's at a league or a, a, a sports media company, a marketing company, an agency, somewhere where you can get a vast exposure to all the different facets of sports business, too much pressure is put on like specializing. I'm not a special. I mean, I've become one over over the years, but I, I've worked across so many different pieces of sports technology and finance and media and data and betting. And I only arrived at becoming this because it was out of the experiences that I had before. So that would be from a directional guidance standpoint, get something where you can get as much exposure to all the different levers that make sports business tick. From a... Uh, from a job-seeking and life-stability perspective, I'd say prepare yourself to be a great bartender uh, or you know something else to, to help pay the rent bills, because it is grueling. We just had a job posting uh, at Octagon recently. We received 2,717 resumes for one job, and that job uh, is an entry-level job, and that job is going to be a lot of hours a week, and it's not going to pay very much, and it's certainly not going to be able to cover the cost of living in New York City uh, fresh out of the gate. Right. So you're going to live in the outer boroughs. You're going to commute in. It is tough. It is really tough. I worked for four years. I'm not t- touting my own horn, but I'm sure Sashi experienced this as well. I worked for four years unpaid. And I, I, was, I won't, re- yeah. I won't, I won't I name the company. Overnight because, shift for years. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, I won't name the company, but uh, a lot of that I'm sure was probably illegal. Well, there
1: were a lot of unpaid internships that I had to go through. I agree with you, on right? That. So yeah.
3: it, it's it's have the expectation that you're not going to change. You're not Theo Epstein, right? There's only there's only a few Theo Epsteins out yeah. there. You're not going to be a 30 year old GM, John Daniels, Theo Epstein. You're going to come in. You're going to work really hard. You're going to make very little. And if you can get through that that first hump of you know the first three, four, five years and and do well, and have a great attitude about it, and be helpful and get your hands dirty, you'll be set.
1: There you go, son. Now you've got the advice.
3: Well, speaking of tough sledding, let let us get to ESPN. We're we're kind of
0: winding down here. Just your your take on – I mean, now Skipper is out. George Bodenheimer is back at this crossroads, uh, in a way, for ESPN. What do you make of where they stand? Maybe not the 800-pound gorilla, but the 750-pound gorilla. But they're going to have to pay – massively for rights, competing against, you've said it, Amazon, Facebook, whoever's involved in 2021, 2022, when they're all up, where do, where do they stand?
3: So I'll address your, your last point first, and then we'll talk about ESPN. I think Amazon and Facebook and others getting into this space, it raises the stakes. But what everyone's not talking about is the fact that those businesses existed and were profitable way before getting into the sports media rights space. The pressure for them to go out and grab these rights is much less than NBC, than CBS, than ESPN, slash Fox. The lifeblood of those companies, in many ways, are their sports media rights. It's that live content. So, when when we talk about sports media rights growing and increasing and, and driving additional revenue, it's that additive pressure that the technology companies are putting on the traditional linear broadcasters survivability depends on them having those rights, they're going to continue to be very relevant. Uh, from a viewership perspective, TV's still the number one screen, and from a a content perspective, they need these media rights. So I don't think Amazon's coming in here in the next, certainly next cycle, right, and going to blow, blow away the, the competition.
1: Right. Right. So the rights to barrel jumping, that's still going to be cheap. So, but it's still right. just right. the numbers
0: game. You, you, you would look at the numbers and see the ROI, because Jim Miller wrote a fascinating piece, I loved it, Can ESPN live without the NFL? No. So his argument was at a certain price, they may have to and just go with highlights or some other package. But you're saying ESPN as the worldwide leader in sports, if
3: they don't have the live event, they're not ESPN. That's correct. ESPN's built themselves into a, a very large corner, but a corner in which I go there for all things sports now that they have Fox. A stat I read the other day from Pivotal Research was incredible. Between Fox and ESPN, 91% of all live sports viewing in the U.S. in 2017 was done between those two channels. You have to go to ESPN for live sports, especially now that they also have all Fox's RSNs, the regional sports networks. Local audio, local sports is what really drives a lot that's, of live... That's more f- f- f-
0: fusion, 51%, right? yeah, it was more than half. Of sports viewing would have been on one of those two platforms. Fifty one percent. Fifty one percent. Okay. That would be more than half. This own is our this is our number guy. More than half. Fifty one percent. We could cut that out. That would be No, good. no, that we're gonna end on that. We're gonna <laughs> punctuate it with that. All right, Dan Cohen, senior VP of Media Rights Consultant at Octagon. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Takeaways from the interview, I am so glad that Dan agreed with me that television is still the number one way to watch sports, because yes, I know you have it online, you can stream it, and blah, 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 but old man Barr still likes to sit down in his Barker Linger and watch TV.
0: Yeah, ah, the
1: lazy boy. The, see, that's another
0: one. Well, what I took away from that is you you can't be lazy boy and do what he does. Yes. This guy's correct. on the road, but what, the, what struck me the most is, remember the conversation where he talked about, let me tell you what goes into evaluating what these things are worth. He's talking about immigration patterns. Mm -hmm. And and who thinks that way? I mean, if you're not in the business, you really don't know what goes into why is the NFL worth X? Why is Liga MX Soccer on Facebook worth Y? This is why. It's the most watched soccer league in the United States. And if you look at the, the pattern of viewers... It's only going to grow. These are the things, all the metrics that he has to look at before making a determination. Fascinating to me.
1: And like you said, Dan Cohen, bless your heart, because you have to have a special mind to do what he does for a living
0: or just be an oddball, and that I can guarantee he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my goal is if you don't want to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since i was a kid. feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. My- we have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. This is gonna be so too easy much pressure. For you. I let you do this every week it and, and is, pop it on is, me, but I I don't know. I, when I say it, you're gonna, you're gonna no. oh come on, give me a challenge.
0: Uh, yeah, all right. Thirty nine million. Thirty nine million. See, I, who who watch what? Uh, Thirty nine. I don't know. Nothing pops to me right away. I have to know right away, or else I don't know.
1: I'll give you a hint. Ugh. City Field. City Field.
0: Thirty nine million city field <laughs> jay bruce yes
1: oh okay yes, yes all right that's good signing a three-year contract with the new york mets there's a lot of money in baseball I, I i've always wondered though is like which one is the better sport to get into baseball or basketball when it comes to money
0: guaranteed contracts
1: it, yeah i'm not going to part and parcel one over the
0: other i can say it's not football. <laughs> no. It's not football. So, I mean, if you look at Giancarlo Stanton, you know, he's got 200 plus million on his deal. Uh, basketball players, they have the cap at a certain amount they can be paid, but they're guaranteed contracts. So nobody's crying for Steph Curry. Nobody's crying for Jay Bruce. Nobody's crying for Jim Carlos Stanton.
1: You've been listening to The Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr.
0: And I'm Scott Soschnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak to the biggest and brightest in the
1: sports industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.